Well, we're beginning a new sermon series this morning entitled Abraham. We'll be in it for the next eight weeks. It's all out of Genesis, and it's, uh, it's the life of Abraham. So we'll be Genesis 12 to 24, 25. I wanted to take a little bit of time this morning introducing you to the context or culture of Abraham or Abram as he starts out. I oftentimes think one of the reasons we don't connect with the Old Testament is because we can't connect with the culture in which it's written. So I think it's worth a little time doing that. And we're going to do that by uh, examining the second half of the 12th chapter. So Genesis 12, verses 10 to 20. If you want to turn there, I'm going to paraphrase it. I don't have time to preach it this morning, but uh, if I don't talk about it at all, you guys will cry foul because it's a troubling uh, passage of Scripture. And I do think it introduces nicely uh, one of the important elements of Abram's life. So in verse 10, it says that there's a really bad famine. It says a severe famine in the land. Now at the time, Abram and his wife Sarai are in Canaan. They're traveling around the land of Canaan, which is today is Israel. And they're traveling around, they're in the desert of Canaan. And then we get this verse, uh, verse 10, that says there's a severe famine in the land. Well, anytime there's a severe famine in the land, uh, people flee to the rivers. So, in this case, Abram and his wife are forced to uh, migrate towards the Nile. And in doing so, they, they have to head to Egypt. Now, you should know by this point that Egypt is old. It's really old already. Just to give you a certain kind of feel, by this point, by the time Abram is walking the land, every single pyramid that is ever built has been built in Egypt. In fact, most of those pyramids are already like 500 years old when Abram is around. That's amazing. That there's there's such an old culture and so rich. And as Abram, you can almost imagine him as he's cresting the hill... And he looks out to see those man-made mountains sitting out there. And all of the things that might have been suggested by that. An empire that old and that big and that significant had to be the father of a million legends that would have cast across the land. And so Abram is thinking about it as he's approaching. He's heading into Egypt, starting to get a little more urban. And he says to his wife, he says... Sarah, I, I know these people. I've heard about these people. I've heard the legends of these people. This is what's going to happen. When we get into town, my fear is that they're going to see how beautiful you are and they're going to kill me and they're going to take you for the Pharaoh's wife. Now that sounds unreasonable to us. Um, four chapters from now, five chapters from now, we're going to watch an even worse occasion in Sodom. And in Judges 19, we're going to watch something far worse than that occur, and that is done by Jews themselves. So we should appreciate that I don't think Abram is off his rocker here. He's been traveling the land, and he's been picking up the culture. He's in a land that's not his own, and he has fears. And he says this to his wife. He says, I'm scared they're going to kill me, and they're going to take you. So he says, so look, let's say you're my sister... And that way, when they take you, they'll spare me. 
So in Abram's actions, he's not altering Sarai's fate in his mind. To him, that's sealed. She's beautiful. She's going to become some Pharaoh's wife. For him, the, the, the turn here is done in order to preserve his own life. And that's what happens. They do walk into town. Sarah does draw attention of the Pharaoh. They start to ask. Abram says, it's my sister. They pay Abram a bunch of goats and cattle. They take Sarai for the Pharaoh's wife. Next thing you know, the Pharaoh breaks out with plagues. And so the Pharaoh comes back to Abram and he says, what is the deal? And Abram says, well, I was only telling you a half-truth. He goes, she's technically my sister. She's my half-sister. But she is also my wife. And the Pharaoh says something like this. What kind of crazy, sick pagan are you? That's kind of the mood of Genesis there. That you, you actually kind of get this feeling like there's an ethical and moral code in Egypt that's even alien to Abram. The Pharaoh's like, you've got to be kidding me. You did what? And he says, just go. Just leave. Get out of Egypt. Barbarians. That's kind of what is, is happening in 10 to 20. Now, I'm not trying to say it's right. I'm not trying to say Abram didn't mis- make a mistake. I'm not trying to say that there's no scars that are put on Sarah's life and of Abram's own life. What I'm trying to say is that Abram is not a Jew. And sometimes when we sing these songs about Father Abraham or when we talk about him, we have in our mind this saintly old man with a cane and a long beard who loves the Lord. This is not the Abram of the Bible. He does not start out this way. He didn't grow up in Sunday school. He didn't read the Bible verses. He didn't have Bible verses. He had no verses. None. There were zero verses. Genesis 1.1 has not even been written. There weren't ten commandments. There weren't even one commandment. Abram is a, a nomad from a pagan land full of gods and demons and spirits and cultic practices. This is what he's growing out of. This is all about who he is. He is the quintessential pagan. That's Abram. I'm not even convinced at this point that Abram is a monotheist. Why should we assume right now that the second God speaks, Abram goes, oh, there's only one God and it is Yahweh. It's very likely that Abram would have started out thinking that Yahweh speaks to me. He is a God. He is a powerful God who speaks to my life. But certainly you would have to imagine that God has to call him out of that kind. It just doesn't work that way with us. Why would we expect it to work that way with him? Abram is not a Jew. He's a pagan. He's a Gentile. He's also a far away from home. Now, isn't Google Earth awesome? <laughs> now, Abram is from a land of Ur. That's in the 11th chapter of Genesis. And Ur is over here in the Tigris and Euphrates River Valley. You see Ur down here? I've actually been there. There's a, actually a big ziggurat or a like a small version of a pyramid that was built in his hometown. I climbed all over it because I couldn't read the Arabic sign which said, stay off the ruins. <laughs> yeah, that's my excuse. Well, if, Ur, if, if Abram wants to go from Ur to Egypt, it looks like the shortest distance is to go west, but that's not reality. There is this massive desert west of Ur, and you can't pass it. 
Even today, people don't walk west from Ur. That's Nazaria nowadays, it's the area. You don't walk west from Ur. There's a, there, even in Iraq today, there's a road that goes up, and there's essentially nothing on the west side of it but desert. That's how we took their country over a few years ago, is we used the desert, because there's nothing out there. So you can't go from Ur to Egypt. To get to Egypt, or to get to the promised land from Ur, the way it has to work is Abram starts out at Ur, and he has to go up the river valley. So he has to travel up the Euphrates, from Ur to Babylon. There. From Babylon to Haran. And by the time we get into chapter 12, he is in Haran living with his father's household. And then from there you would come south. From Haran down to the promised land and then from the promised land into Egypt. That's how it works. How many different cultures and people groups do you think Abram met? How many different legends do you think he met? Met with and heard? How many different stories? How many different ways? I mean, he's walking past towns like Sodom and Gomorrah. He's walking through people groups like the Asherians at the time. I mean, he's up there not too far from Nineveh. There's this whole eclectic world he's experiencing. So for him to show up and suppose that the Egyptians might not be that kind to him is very reasonable. I say all of this so that we don't have an unrealistic expectation of Abram, that we don't see him as some holy man that God chose, but as a man that God chose and made holy. Because that's what he does with us. He takes us away and then he cleans us up. This is the story of Abraham. If you would, direct your attention to the first verse of Genesis 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 3. And it says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Now, I want to draw attention to the fact that the first word that the Lord says to Abram here in Scripture is leave. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household. He doesn't say come. He says leave. I don't think they're the same. I think the word leave means to abandon, to leave behind, to cut away from, to depart. To do all of those things. Come does not mean that. And you can see it. You can see it in the fact that God says, I want you to leave your country, and then he tightens it up. And I want you to leave your people, and I want you to leave your father's household. What he's saying to Abraham is, or you need to cut off from your past. That's the suggestion here in Scripture. You need to make a break with the story your life is telling because God wants to tell a new story. God is now taking Abram and saying, I want to start something new. I want to make you a new person. I want to do something new with you. And the other stuff has to go away. That's in leave. That's not in come. That's in leave. And I will say, I, I noticed this week with irony how many songs we sing about Jesus with, where we say we come to Jesus. And that's 
Okay, you can sing those songs. We do. We come to Jesus. We come to this. We come to this. We come to this. We don't ever talk about leaving for Jesus. But I think there's something real here that God wants him to first leave. In fact, he doesn't even tell him where he's going. He says, leave, and I'll tell you where you're going when you get there. Just leave. And he does. Read verses 4 and 5 with me. So Abraham left, or excuse me, so Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife, Sarai, his nephew, Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated as, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So he leaves his father's household, and he takes his family and his possessions, and he heads into this land of Canaan. But he left. And I think that is significant. I think that this story is historically true. I think it's historically accurate. I think it's meaningful to the church. I think our faith is built upon the historical truth of this, but I think it's more than that. I think there is spiritual truth in this kind of a story. I think that when God says to Abram, leave, he's expressing the kind of way that he works with his people, the kind of way he tells a story. God tells stories, and he generally begins with an idea of leave. Salvation begins with this idea of leave. Oftentimes, that is God's first word to us, is you need to leave wherever you are. Whatever it is, whatever that facet of life is that you're holding on to, you cannot come until you leave. In Genesis 12, come is implied, but leave is said. Now, maybe I'm splitting hairs. I don't think I am, and I want to I describe what kind of people we are. So there's a few kinds of people here in this room or in this world, and this is why I don't think I'm splitting hairs over leaving and coming. I think some of us don't mind coming, but we're not so hot on leaving, if you know what I mean. Some of us, if God says, come, we don't have any problem coming to the Lord. We don't want to leave behind the things that he wants us to leave behind. So I think it's different. And I think the difference is significant. There's some kind of, something with your country or your culture or your family. You have some desire, some pleasure, some habit, some tradition or you're fearing some kind of shame, and so you, you don't mind coming to, Lord, to the Lord so long as you can bring all of that with you. I think all of us are this way somewhat, right? Some of us do a lot of coming over here, but not a lot of leaving over there. But some of us walk out of Babylon with this 600 camel caravan because we're bringing everything with us to Jesus. And we want to call ourselves Christians, but he's just, now he's just one little idol in the pantheon that's behind you. You have this love of money. You have this love of job. You have this love of family. You have all of these things that are above and beyond God's call in your life. And he is saying to you, you have to leave. You have to leave it. You cannot bring these things. What about my dreams, you might say? Well, your dreams might have to change. What about the family ridicule? I, you have to leave. 
Hear the words of Christ. This is from Luke. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, that being Christ, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus said, Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. You have to leave. Christ describes the kingdom of God as a pearl of great price. He says, it's the kind of thing when you find it, if you find it, it's the kind of thing you'll sell everything else to get. You've got to leave. In Matthew 16, Jesus says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What Jesus is saying, he's saying more than God in chapter 12 of Genesis. He's not saying you have to leave your country, your people, and your father's household. Jesus Christ says you have to leave yourself. You have to leave yourself behind. And he says, and take up your cross. Taking up our cross requires both hands. It is a full work. And some of us are trying to carry the baggage of Babylon with us while we tote our cross. And you don't do either well. It is a shame to both. Some of us are like that. We don't mind coming, but we do mind leaving. Some of us are the other way. We don't mind leaving. We just want to know where we're going. God says leave, and we say, okay, where? Just leave. Well, I'll leave, God. Just tell me where we're going. All I want to know is where. I'm not saying I won't leave. I just want to know where. Will you just leave? And we say, you tell me where, and I'll leave. I think Western culture does that better than anybody because we've prepared. We need to have a good reason to leave, and we need to be assured that there's the same kinds of things that make us comfortable now wherever we're going. God, what does the 401k plan look like wherever that is? I need to make sure. What do the schools look like? What does my job look like? Well, I have friends. And that's like in a locational move. I mean, I understand that there's kind of a a missions flair to, to some of these words, but it's just true. It's true in every regard of life that when God tells us we need to uproot from this relationship, you need to leave that relationship. We'll go, well, then I won't have any friends. Who are you going to give me? I'll get rid of this relationship if you give me another friend. The Lord says, you know, you need to leave that addiction. You need to leave whatever it is, that passion in your life that's getting in the way of family, that passion in your life that's getting in the way of your relationship with God, you need to leave. And we say, well, then what am I going to fill it with? And God just says, leave. Just leave. I'll show you. We are so overprepared. I think this leaving the old life behind of just leaving and trusting God is the bedrock of faith. That's what faith is. 
Faith is willingness to leave when you don't know where God's taking you. That's what faith is. In fact, this is what's said in Hebrews 11. The 11th chapter of Hebrews is a description of faith. It's a beautiful description of faith. And it begins with these words. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then a few verses later, they go in, they finally get to Abram. And you know what they say? This is what they say. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. The writer of Hebrews uses this exact passage to describe to the people of God what faith looks like. It's leaving when you don't know where you're going. It's trusting God when you don't have the answers. But yet some of us just wait. Lord, you show me and I'll go. And God says, if I show you, it won't be faith. And if, when you tell me to show you, then you're telling me you don't trust me. Besides, if God did answer us, would you go? So what if Abram says to God, you know, God says to Abram, leave. Abram says, I'll leave, just tell me where. And God says, Abram, leave. I got a big story, you're going to be in print. Millions will be sold. Just leave. And Abraham says, look, you know, off script, you tell me where I'm going and I'll leave. So the Lord would say this, fine, Abram. You want to know? I'll tell you. I'm going to ask you to walk a thousand miles on bad roads and you're 75. And when you get to where I tell you you are, I'm going to tell you that the land I promised you, you won't actually receive, nor will your children, nor will your children's children or those children of those children. In fact, the promise of this land that I'm telling you will not even be realized until 500 years after your death, 400 years after your death. But you need to go. And on your way down, you're going to get to this promised land that I'm telling you about, and it's going to be full of Canaanites. And you know what I think about Canaanites, and Abraham, I know, I don't like them either. They're going to be there. And you're going to walk around these Canaanite lands with, with wickedness and, and cruelty in them, and it won't be your land. Although it will be your land, you just won't experience it. But I'm going to ask you to go anyway. And it's going to, it's going to, it's going to be hard. And just to find a place where you can be by yourself, you're going to have to go into the desert. And then there'll be a famine, Abram, and you're going to have to go to Egypt. You cannot stand Egyptians, but you're going to go. And while you're there, you're going to do disappointing things that you're going to regret, and you're going to scar your wife. And then you're going to come out, and you're going to say, Lord, what about, what about my son you promised me? Where is that? And I'm going to say, not yet, Abram. And then you're going to call out to me again, what about my son? And I'm going to say, not yet, Abram. And you're going to say, Lord, didn't you promise me a son? And I'm going to say, Abram, finally, when you're so old, you can barely be a dad, I'll give you your son. And when I've given you your son, I'm going to turn around to you and say, give me your son back. Now will you go? Would any of us go? The grace of God is sometimes the grace that hides the destination. He says, just leave. Because sometimes he knows that if you knew where he was taking you, you wouldn't go. Because when we see the destination, you know what we do? We solve the problem within our own strength, especially the West. We look there and we go, I got to take care of this, 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 this. Here's my challenges. Here's my spreadsheet. I got to fix these things. Here's my long-term goals, my short-term goals. 
What's tax deductible? Where we do this. We see the future and we have to do this. And when we put when we infuse every problem with ourselves, we would see the problem God gives us as insurmountable and we will not go. God is going to say, I'm going to take her from you. I'm going to afflict you with this. Your child will deny you and leave. These things will happen. Who, if we had the opportunity, would go down those paths? But God holds it out of his grace at times so that when we finally get there, he's there with us and he accomplishes the task with us so that his name may be praised. But you've got to leave. And Abram does. Read it 6 through 9 with me, if you would. So despite all of Abram's problems, despite his pagan lifestyle, he leaves. And this happens. Verse 6, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued towards the Negev. Now there's, there's kind of three scenes that were given in this passage that are, I find are impressive. The first is, is that he comes into the land and he finds out there's Canaanites. So, you know, there's this hope that maybe there was, that there was an emptiness about the promised land. He shows up and it's full of Canaanites. What you can imagine, if you were following God in faith, would be frustrating. In fact, that's why the sons of Abraham refused to enter into the land 400 years later. They go, what are you, crazy? There's Canaanites, big giant ones. We're not going. So Abraham comes in, the first thing he sees is Canaanites, the second thing he sees is cities. So this land which is going to be given to Abram already has cities of foreign people in it, Bethel and Ai. In fact, he pitches his tent between them, because they're not his city. Already, he's a pagan, but he's not like them. Already. And then you see, you see this word that he heads off into the Negev. Abraham set out and continues towards the Negev. The Negev is an untranslated Hebrew word, which means desert. That's just what it means. And so, in other words, Abram shows up in the promised land, and it's full of people. It's like going to your own surprise birthday party and finding out that nobody's, everybody's there doing their own thing. So he's like... So he goes a little farther south. There's cities. So finally, just to be by himself, he's traveling around the deserts of southeast Israel just to be by himself. Maybe this is my promised land. But there's this moment of, of faith that comes out of this, and it's verse 8. <clears throat> that I think preaches to us because I'm not going to sit here and tell you that when the Lord brings you where he told you to leave, it's going to be fun or it's going to feel good or you're going to feel like that you're blessed and that your name is great and that the world's blessed through you. I'm not saying you're going to feel that way because it's not your story, is it? God's not writing your story. You're an actor in his story. When we make Jesus Lord and Savior of our life, 
We commit to saying, use me as you see fit to glorify your name. Not give me a fun time. And so here Abram is in the middle of real life, alone, far away from home, nothing in common with anybody, hungry and thirsty. And it says this in verse 8, From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Now what I think is so awesome about that verse is that Abram is in his promised land. He's there. He knows it's there. The Lord said, this is it. He's in his land, but he pitches his tent and he builds his altar. That's what I think is awesome. Is Abram Abram is traveling with the Lord. The Lord hasn't said settle down. The Lord hasn't said stop. The Lord hasn't said you've arrived. The Lord hasn't said this is it. The Lord hasn't said this is the time. The Lord said leave and come. And as he's leaving and coming, he's here. He pitches his tent and he builds his altar. Imagine that. When Abram breaks camp and departs, the only evidence left is that God was there. If we could only be as faithful. I think this suburban culture we live in, we are very good at building our homes and pitching God's altars. That we have in our mind, this is where I'm going to be, this is what I'm going to look like, this is the name that I'm going to raise for myself, these are my dreams and my hopes, this is my, my plan, and God's tent will revolve around it. When I have to change my, the way I worship to fit it, I'll move it over here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay a deep foundation of my home and I'm going to pitch a tent that can move at a moment's notice. Abram says he pitches his tent so that he can move at a moment's notice. The, Lord, the second the Lord says, you need to keep leaving, Abram keeps leaving. And the only thing left behind is an altar of God. I've been moved in the reading of this word, to try to think of my life, not as in my 72 and a half years that Department of Health and Human Services has assured me I'll have, but as the opportunity to one day give a greater promise to a later generation. That I will say, I would like my children to grow up saying, you know, he didn't do a whole lot, but God was all over it. But he moved, he did what the Lord would tell him, he didn't have a name for himself, but God gave him a name. Right? God gives us a name, Christian. You bear the name of Jesus Christ. Every time we misuse our personhood, we misuse the name of Christ. It would be my hope that one day, when this building is long gone, there is still an altar of the Lord saying, I don't know about those people, but God was there. This is Abraham. This is why he's worth talking about. Because he left, and he was always willing to keep leaving. Amen.